Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Emma Bates. Emma is co-founder of new disruptive social media platform, DM, designed for women and non-binary people. DM is a new social universe aiming to tackle the inequality that exists for women and non-binary folks IRL and on social media. Social media is hugely influential to how we live, work, and interact with each other. And yet the vast majority of leading platforms are designed by and for men. DM is providing a safe alternative space for women and non-binary folks to share knowledge about the things we don't talk about openly, marking a move away from performative content and towards a more equitable personal experience. By trade, Emma is a marketer and community builder. Her entry into marketing was somewhat untraditional. She started out by growing a blog to 100,000 plus readers at age 19, which is crazy, and then transitioned into marketing roles at some of the fastest growing consumer brands in New York City and the UK. Prior to founding Diem, she was head of global marketing at the D2C travel brand Away. She's a lifelong advocate for gender equity and equality and is dedicated to making a positive social impact on the lives of women. This mission stems from her time at King's College London, where she majored in war studies with a focus on the intersection of gender and sexual-based violence in conflict and post-conflict regions. Emma's work has been featured in Forbes, HuffPost, Entrepreneur, and The Cut for her unique approach to marketing, community building, and partnerships. Emma was born and raised in the UK before moving to New York City in 2016. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Emma Bates. Hi, Emma. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into your 20s, I'd love to just ask you a fun question we start every show with. It's a little light, you know, before we get into the nuanced nitty-gritty of the 20s. But what is something new that you learned in this past week? It could be like an interesting conversation you had. It could be maybe like a movie you watched or a show you watched and loved. But something new you were taught in the past week. I actually learned something in DM. So in DM, you can, the, the whole idea is that we want to provide access to the knowledge of like every person in the world in a way that you can discover it, like falling down rabbit holes and all of that sort of stuff. So the way that it works is you can listen to conversations or read them. And someone the other day had a conversation about how to break up with friends or toxic friends. And the person that was talking is this woman called Erin Falkner. And she wrote a book like how to break up with friends. And basically the thing I learned was that usually a toxic friend is actually like not entirely the friend's fault. And when you are experiencing a toxic friendship, there's a chance that you have contributed to that in some way to allow for it to exist in the way that it does within your life, which I'd never thought about before. So that was interesting. 
Yeah, it's almost like shocking. It's so much easier to just place the blame on like the, a toxic friend and just be like, they're toxic. I'm perfect. Yeah. I don't know what's going on here, but they suck. Instead of taking accountability for like your 50% in the relationship. Wow, that's wild. It's a little mind blowing. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it's not applicable the entire time. I think that's the case though with all relationships. I think it's so much easier to blame the other person and say they're fully wrong or they're fully the one that's causing conflict, but it's always 50-50. It might be a little more 70-30 or 80-20, but like it's always two people. And sometimes I think it's also there's just a bad match between people and people can bring out the worst sides in each other, but they're not bad people individually. They just aren't a good fit with each other, like friendships, relationships, whatever it is. A hundred percent. When you also said DM, your business name, it sounds like DM, like kind of like DM, like on Instagram. Yeah. Was that the intention behind the name? It's a pun on words. Yeah. The idea really was that Direct messaging is often a very negative experience, but messaging and communicating is how women through generations have passed knowledge to each other. And so like, how about we create a name that can reclaim the concept of DMing as a net positive experience for everyone and a place where you, like the idea of DMing is a means to like exchange knowledge with another person. So it's a fun, and then there's obviously so many marketing plays off of the word like Cafe DM or slide into my DMs or lots of fun words. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Cause slide into my DMs. Like there's a bit of like a negative connotation with like DMing someone. It's sort of like one person's maybe a little like needy and maybe there's sort of like a more of like a sexual nature to it. I don't know. It's, it's cool. This idea you guys are reclaiming that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important to be able to reclaim previously negative experiences online and as we sort of reframe and build this ecosystem in DM. So I'm obsessed with our name, basically. Okay, cool. Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's obviously to get context for your 20s. It's important to understand kind of where you come from. So when you were younger, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? And did you think that entrepreneurship was in your path? In short, no, I don't think I knew or thought entrepreneurship was in my path. I've always been very curious and very... Upon reflection, I definitely didn't know this about myself at the time, but I always sought alternate friends, I think, outside of my school friendships or the ones that are sort of given to you as you grow up. And I think that was a big, when looking back, that was probably a reflection of my curiosity as a person and wanting to learn from others and wanting to explore, I suppose. And that has rolled over into how I learn now and how I always seek to like expand my people that I surround myself with. And I truly believe that's like a very important skill set as an entrepreneur is constantly being curious and constantly wanting to learn from others that know more than you or have a different perspective or come from a different place, professional background, etc. So yeah, I think that was probably the only consistency in who I was as a younger person and how that's translated into entrepreneurship. But I definitely think I've always been slightly untraditional, but I definitely had no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) Like a lot of people, I feel like we all kind of figured out. And what about like marketing? I know obviously you're starting this business, but your lane really has been marketing. And I'm sure within what you're doing now at DM, you really are owning the marketing and community building as that's your strength, like we discussed. So Was that something that you felt like you really were aware of when you were younger? Did you find that interesting or was that something that you kind of discovered as you got older? I never knew it when I was younger. At school, I was a bit of a history politics nerd. I 
truly am obsessed with history, English literature, uh, like politics. I did art as well uh, in my final year, two years of school. And I guess like I'm very interested by humans in general, like human psychology and marketing is applied psychology. So I think that's probably maybe I was interested in it, but definitely didn't study anything like that at school, didn't study that at university. I studied war studies actually at university and my entry into marketing was definitely untraditional. As you mentioned in the intro, I did grow a blog to hundreds of thousands of readers at one point whilst I was at university and tens of thousands in revenue. This was like 10 years ago before blogging or influencing was really that big of a thing as it is now. And that was my entry into marketing and understanding community growth, the audience growth, and quickly realizing I really, truly hated doing it around myself, but I loved doing it for others. Like I love creating brand campaigns or just like applying creativity in a, in a different way to expand the growth of something that is not myself as a human being. So yeah, that was kind of how I learned marketing and how I fell into marketing. Didn't study it, literally learned it by teaching myself. <laughs> but that's like the best way to do it is like you saw, oh my gosh, I can like build this community and I can make money. And that's the best way, learning by doing, you know? I think a lot of the times people are like, my background is in this because I majored in it. And like, that's one form of experience and education, but like actually doing it is a totally different one. And they're both very interesting. It's also for me, and maybe this is me just being like extremely American, but war studies is just so British to me <laughs> that you guys would like study like history and wars. And I don't know anyone that studies that here in America because we're just way too like, we just care very much about the present and quite selfish in some ways. So I'd love to hear more about like your program. And obviously you had a really interesting focus. Can you tell me a little more like what you learned from that and why you chose that? Yeah, so I think in terms of the degree, it's actually the only university in the world that offers this degree. And what it is, is there's only 60 places a year and it's history, politics, international relations, human psychology, strategic war, things like that. So a lot of the people on my degree were like sons or mainly sons. There were literally four women on my course, sons of world leaders, essentially. So they were being trained to go into government or to go into the army or to be sort of like strategic leaders in international relations. And so I think that what I was really interested in by it is that you could basically pick from all of these different experts. And because I went to King's College in London, because of the fact that we were in central London, there were so many people that came and did guest lectures because they all, all of their offices were in London. And that was amazing because you got access to all of these incredible professionals from across the sort of private and public sectors that have operated abroad or operated in government or operated in sort of these like strategic environments. And so I found it really interesting because I could just pick to learn anything I wanted. And so it's really, I guess, a more in-depth version of an international relations program. And my favorite course was the one that I, well, my what I wrote my thesis in, in my final year, which was, I basically wanted to understand how the sort of gender bias in peacetime gets amplified in wartime or regions of conflict or post-conflict. Because as we're seeing, even with the Ukraine war, sex and rape and gender is used as a weapon weaponized and uh, you're seeing that even come out in the news at the moment in real time in, in Ukraine and so I was really interested in like 
why that happens and how the existing sort of biases in our everyday life are even more amplified in more extreme environments. So yeah, I wrote my thesis on it. I loved it. I honestly, I would, I would do my three years again, like any three, I would do it tomorrow. I loved it. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Like it's really hard for me to find history really interesting, but the way that you just explained it is absolutely fascinating. And I think as someone who also very deeply cares about equity and equality and all these things, it's so essential to have a woman in the war studies program talking about these things. Because like you said, if you're one of four, that's horrifying. And we need someone like you to be looking at it. Equip me for the tech industry. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of diversity, but no, I think the biggest thing, like any, any study of history is basically just like understanding how humans behave. And we don't behave very differently from our ancestors. We just get given new tools to behave in the same way, but potentially on a larger scale because we now have larger reach and larger platforms. So I think that understanding where we've come from and like our psychology and how it's evolved and changed and how it's impacted the world is so important, especially if you want to like go and build a product that might change the world, for example, which every entrepreneur dreams of, then you need to understand where you came from. Yeah. And human behavior, like you said, is the same. We just have different tools. I think that's so powerful. And so now we have social media and tech and we have we're more global in nature and all the things, but we're still the same humans from, you know, 200 years ago with the same motivations and the same psychology. And that's really interesting. I wonder too, I know you're talking about using gender as a weapon, which is horrifying, but did you also study how in times of war, like men are left behind to fight and like women and children have to leave and start over. Like, it's very interesting. I think for at least now in society, we try to say gender is a spectrum and we don't even look at gender and men and women should have the same opportunities. And that's kind of the narrative. But then when it comes to times of war or like the Titanic sinking or some of these sort of like very, almost like animalistic situations, we're like- We resort to our like stereotypes essentially. Yeah. What is that? I have a lot of not fully formed thoughts on this, but it is something that I've pondered when they told uh, like when for example in Ukraine with the conscription law and I was like "Mm, that doesn't feel right but then also it's almost in some ways it's unrealistic to believe that our responsibilities within families or within households have actually evolved that much and I think that a lot of us live potentially in a bubble to assume that parents whatever their gender are taking on equal responsibility and equal roles like data tells us otherwise there's so much research on the sort of like silent work of mothers for example or all of that it's still very 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 real like we saw it come to life in the pandemic and lots of the data showing lots of women left the workforce and all of that sort of stuff so I think it like war always just like amplifies the undercurrent in a lot of ways and if that means women you're leaving with the children because you look after the children like not that we want that to be what this, the real world looks like then I think that that is how it makes sense and I think also if you look historically the reason that people who are male have held more power is that it stems from all like way back like our ancestors like power being strength and like physical strength because it means that you could like hunt or you could do all this stuff that our ancestors need to do it's like incredibly basic explanation so I apologize but if you think about it that way then like in an instance of war if it is physical then like the 
technically the strongest in terms of muscle strength will be the ones that fight. I think that changes as different weapons of war come into play and things like drones and things like sure like robot soldiers and stuff in the future. But yeah, it's very interesting. It's very conflicting. And I definitely haven't formed my opinion on it. But at the same time, there is a very funny meme, which I don't know if you've seen it. And it's basically someone lying on the floor that looks like a woman. And like, it looks like her, her spirit is floating above her. And it says like feminism leaving my body when the check leaves and uh, when the check arrives rather. And I'm kind of like, you know what? I wouldn't be mad if I did have to leave. <laughs> like, I don't want to fight. Does any human want to fight? <laughs> so I, I'm fighting my best judgments here. My, I'm very conflicted. <laughs> but it's so good to talk about it and the nuance of it, where like some parts are like, the feminism is like, we should all be fighting. And then the other side of you is like, but do I really want to be? And technically, if it gets physical, they are technically on average stronger. And so it's good to have the nuance and it's good to not have fully formed opinions. I like to say too, with a lot of things, like, oh yeah, this is still this is still being formed. I'm just learning. Right now I'm thinking of these four extraordinarily contradicting things and that's where I'm at, like, and just being cool with it. So I think that's great. Yeah, it's not being so like quick to, I think it plays into like our sort of experiences with cancel culture. It's like, no, there's certain things that you just don't know until you learn more. And obviously in some instances, I completely agree with people taking time to inwardly reflect or being told that they're incorrect. But yeah, I think it's a similar idea. It's like, it's not a fully formed thought, but we're all evolving in the present moment like every day. Yeah. And also war is evolving. Like it's physical in nature right now in Ukraine, but a lot of wars that are, are cyber in nature and we need the smartest hacking minds and that can be men or women. And so even war has nuance. So like drone pilots, things like that. Exactly. So anyway, well, thank you for indulging me there. You are one of four women in war studies and, and the only major in the world in your year. So uh, thank you for allowing me to deep dive for a sec. And I think it also obviously informs a lot of what you're doing now with DM, like with these conversations you're having and creating spaces for women and non-binary folks to be able to like talk about the nuances of these different things, whether it be war or otherwise. <laughs> so I think it's interesting and it ties into kind of what you're doing now. But before we get into DM now, I'd love to hear more about this 100,000 plus reader marketing blog thing you started when you were 19 and studying war studies. Like, tell me, how did this come about? What was the focus of it? And like, what was the life cycle of it? What ended up happening? I just stopped doing it is what ended up happening. But the... Yeah, I got to travel the world for free while I was at university. It was amazing. And it was very lifestyle, generic. I really, truly, it was not great content. I'm 90% sure it probably wasn't great content. But I really love film photography. So it was a great place to put film photography that wasn't somewhere like Facebook. Cause, and then there was like Instagram. I had my blog when most of your readers would come from SEO or Google or not... Instagram. And now like if people have a blog, their audience is on Instagram and they sometimes go the other way. So it was a very interesting way to experience the rise of social platforms because you started getting followers and things like that in reverse. So I've basically seen the full life cycle of creator marketing. 
And almost like the life cycle of it, like kind of coming back a little bit. I feel like it started off that way. And then everyone went up to all the social platforms. And now you're starting to see everyone be like... Decentralization. Yeah, exactly. It's complete. It's like going back and forth, which is really interesting. And also that the platforms are so expensive. They're like, now we just have to do things organically like the old days. Yeah. And I think that that's how like the internet was formed was this sort of more decentralized network in a way. And so we're reverting back to some of those principles. And then obviously there's new technologies that are becoming more robust, like building on the blockchain or building on all of these sort of alternate internets or like creating alternate internet experiences, which is very interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be cool to see how it all unfolds. So you basically built this entire blog around yourself and it was lifestyle and you traveling and you learned about marketing and SEO organically, did you put a lot of time and effort into growing it? Or was it really sort of like right place, right time? And people just happened to find you because you wrote interesting things? It was definitely right place, right time. But it was also, I think the biggest thing I learned from it was actually partnerships, because it was in the earliest phases of getting brand sponsorships, essentially, like in the first couple of years of, of that really happening. And I think that that it was like what informed my like love for partnerships, which is what I went then went on to go and do with Away. And basically my greatest professional love is partnerships. I can talk about partnerships for days. So I think it taught me how to form partnerships and how to do it because I was being approached by brands. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is how you work with someone. This is what you say. This is how you negotiate. This is what you ask for. This is what things cost. I mean, you just like make it up <laughs> and see if they say yes. Which honestly, I feel like most people still do. Like everyone says they have a rate. I'm like, you literally made it up. Yeah. Or you're like, why don't you tell me your rate first before I tell you my rate? Never name your price first, ever. You lose As soon as you are the first one to do it, you lose. Yeah. That's some good advice. We should double down on that. Never say it first. I think people know that too with like salaries and stuff, but like really never say it first. Okay. So you're getting your degree in war studies. Okay. You've built this blog and then you graduate. What does the next year look like? I know you kind of helped, from what I can tell, you helped with a lot of different like partnerships, community building, marketing things. What did that look like? What were the projects you were working on after college? Yeah, so when I graduated, I went and worked for one of the first, it was called an influencer platform at the time, but now it'd be called a creator network. And I built out their influencer network from zero to 300 influencers and like onboarded them onto the technology and the platform and sort of built that early community there, connecting influencers to not only each other, but also to brand and whatever sponsorships. That agency is now huge. I think they have like 300 employees or something, but I was their third employee. And then I, after I was there for about, I guess, 11 months and almost a year, I was approached by the co-founders of Away and they wanted me to initially expand them into the UK and uh, do sort of like international marketing and, and whatnot because I obviously am from the UK. So I had exposure into what was cool and what was not cool and all of that sort of stuff in London. And then after a couple of months doing that, I moved to their head office in New York and basically focused entirely on partnerships and then various sort of activations around the world that we did as well. So how you say it so casually that the co-founders of Away... <laughs> By the time it wasn't a big company, <laughs> it sounds bigger. It sounds bigger now. Tell me, like, what's the state of a way when they reach out to you and how do they find you? And like, 
what was that like? Because now it's like one of the few female unicorn, female founded unicorns, and it's this big thing. But what was that like, that conversation? And how'd they find you? Initially, it was one of my best friends, but also I guess I've always thought of her as a mentor from a professional sense as well. She was a friend of one of the founders and we happened to bump into her uh, when she was visiting from New York at a bar, I think, or something like that in London. And we just were like, we're talking and Away had a social impact partnership. I'm not sure if they, I think they still do, I don't know, with a organization called Peace Direct. It was like a nonprofit partnership and they operated in regions of post-conflict to maintain peace with local peacekeepers. And so I was talking to one of the co-founders about like that I'd written my thesis in one of the regions that I focused a lot on the Congo in my thesis. And she was like, oh my God, I'm going there in like a few months with Peace Direct. And so we were talking about that and like that sort of kicked off the relationship. And then, yeah, I guess a couple of months later, they were like, do you want to come do marketing? (laughs) I was like, okay, (laughs) let's give it a go. There were 10 employees. So it was hardly, I don't think any, literally, I remember when I joined, everyone was like, what's away? And I was like, you'll know about it. Give it 18 months. (laughs) Exactly. If you're flying, you'll see the suitcases. That's such an interesting story. And that I think showing that you're like an interesting, passionate person that cares about the Congo was like the impetus for the conversation. Like I think a lot of times people feel like they have to be this like, if you like marketing, for example, this like perfect marketing candidate and like have all the answers. And it's like, no, honestly, you're just like at a bar talking about something that you actually cared about that this other person cared about. And that's kind of how it all worked out. It wasn't as like, clear cut. And I think that's also like what we try to expose on the show too is serendipitous. It's not like you weren't initially talking about like, oh, what are your partnership strategies out of way? Like, it's just not that way. Well, I think it's also when you're in an early stage of a business, talking from the founder perspective now, you just want people who are passionate and you want people that are smart and that can are self-starters. Like micromanaging anyone is you don't have time for or teaching them rather. And like you could, you almost want them to like want to learn by doing. And I think that was very much, has always been my attitude to anything. It's just like, I'll figure it out and I'll ask people that can help me figure it out. So yeah, I think it was a lot of relationships formed that way, especially if you're in the earliest stages of a startup. Like that's all that a founder is looking for is someone that's like curious and smart, unless you are literally hiring like an engineer and then obviously they need to be able to code. Yeah. And like you said, especially in the beginning when everyone's kind of doing a little bit of everything too, and things pop up, you can't even predict for, it like doesn't even make sense to look for someone that's like has a certain skill because it's totally going to change. So they need to be adaptable. I think most of the people in the earliest, I don't know, maybe first 25 employees, something like that. I'm fairly sure that almost like maybe like 80% of them now all run their own companies. So it's like a very specific type of person. I think. Yeah. It is really interesting to see the pipeline of like early employee at a startup and then becoming friends with all of them and then seeing them all go start their own. That's almost like how a lot of venture funds run even. It's like you just have friends at all these early companies and then they're like, they all just naturally start companies because that's the personality. Yeah. Because you have to be fine with risk. Yeah. You have to be fine with risk. Exactly. And you have to almost like have the confidence to know you can kind of go step out and do it. I think almost playing with someone else's money and kind of seeing it through, you're like, okay, like, I saw a company scale. I think I could maybe now do this myself versus jumping in like fully, fully blind and not having any experience watching something grow. Yeah, and it's the same with, especially if you're going into, if you want your company to be venture-backed, then like exposure to how that industry works from the inside 
is actually very, very helpful. Like if I hadn't have worked in a venture-backed company, I would have absolutely no idea about the venture capital industry. And I still, I didn't even, while I was working there, I didn't think I didn't appreciate quite the scale of the games and the FOMO and all the stuff that you have to generate to close your round. But it does give you that advantage that you're like, okay, there are certain cycle amount of time in between each round. You have to have achieved these metrics. These are the the goals of the company. We're all rallying towards like X, Y, Z. And so it really gives you that context, which is always helpful. It's so interesting to hear you talk about it because I know that you're kind of figuring out what that looks like with DM. But, and I think I had shared this with you, but I joined a venture fund very recently. And by the time this episode comes out, people Mm, will know. Thank you. And it's the exact same idea. Like you have to know the ins and outs as best you can. It really sets you up so much better for when it's your time to start your own thing. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your experience at Away. Obviously, you ended, it's, I believe, head of global marketing. Crazy. And I know you mentioned a lot of that was partnerships. So like, what was like the greatest takeaway from your time there or maybe like an absolute highlight from building it from, you know, being one of the earliest employees? I think just watching your hard work actually have an impact on growing an audience or growing a community or growing anything, growing a brand is so cool. Like one of my favorite questions to ask people that own Away products is I'm like, how did you hear about Away? And some of the answers are more nuanced now. Like a lot of, like it's such a well-known, relatively well-known company, but like a couple of years ago, they'd be like, oh, I saw it with this partnership or I saw it on a subway or I saw it, you did this cool event and I like came with a friend or something like that. I'm like, huh. I did that partnership or like, and it's like quite, it's just like very cool to see your work actually translate into something in a tangible format. So yeah, I think that that was probably just in general, such a highlight seeing such a company grow to such a successful brand. Otherwise, I think I really was lucky to work with incredible people and work on some just like completely crazy ideas that we were given the green light for. Like we created a hotel in Paris for Fashion Week one year. We literally ran, we partnered with this boutique hotel. We took over the entire hotel, basically made it into a Soho house. It was called Shea Away. And then we hosted like celebrities and influencers. And every single night was a program dinner that was hosted by like someone cool. And then there were like tattoo artists and like my very good, now very good friend we met on this trip, Kirstie Godso, who's a Nike master trainer. She did workouts for everyone in the morning. It was just this like crazy eight days that we were somehow up to get away with. And it was amazing brand marketing. But yeah, just like cool stuff like that, where I'm like, ask me how to run a hotel. I'll tell you. So I think moments like that were so fun. Yeah. And you can look back on and really smile and be like, wow, what a special experience. And then you also, you know, like we were saying, you get to see if you ever want to do a hotel pop-up for DM or you ever want to do like a fun brand marketing billboard, whatever it is, like you've now had that experience and can take it forward. And I think what's also really lucky is Away did so well. You know, like not all startups that you join early, (laughs) you know, end up becoming massive, massive companies. So that's really cool too. So then you, you start DM, which is now your baby. And I would love to hear, like, what was that moment you decided I'm going to step away and start my own company and like kind of that, that early process getting it built? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea for DM, as like before it was called DM, stemmed from me having to crowdsource the side effects of taking the morning after pill 
and I'd never taken it before. And so as we all do, I was in a spiral of group chat messages, online forums, WebMD, basically any single thing that I could find anywhere. And I was like curating all of this knowledge from like everywhere. And I put it all in a spreadsheet and it was like stored in a spreadsheet. And I've actually shared the spreadsheet with like many women since who were all looking for the same, like more qualitative, not just like I'm going to read WebMD to understand it. They wanted to know everyone's side effects, how long the period would last. Did they feel sick? Like all of this sort of stuff. And basically after making this spreadsheet, realize I was like, why do we have to do this? Like, why is there not a place where you could query the collective knowledge of an individual or of an entire community and get these answers in like five seconds? And that's really where the idea for DM came from. And then I met my co-founder actually while we were both working at Away and her background's in digital product. And so we started like, after I left, started brainstorming and thinking about it. And and really the idea for DM is ultimately an alternate search engine. It's not a social platform. It's a community curated search, like personal search experience. So instead of having to go to Google and ask these questions and being served SEO sponsored blogs or whatever, you just get human answers that are all like analyzed for you and delivered to you. And it's all created by humans and it's community generated. So that's like the bigger vision. And we're starting with this idea of each individual sharing their knowledge and contributing their knowledge into the ecosystem, which then goes to like create this human indexed experience, I suppose. So it's basically like a gigantic organized Excel spreadsheet that you can access via Google search. So it's like taking the cumulative knowledge of women and non-binary folks everywhere and having them contribute, like whether it's experiences or like actual tangible knowledge they have on something like, oh, I actually studied war studies. Like what is like the type of content that you guys are collecting from people? Yeah. So right now, the most popular content definitely stems around like human need, areas of human need. So we qualify those as like well-being or health, finance and career. And then we are starting to see some sort of almost like sub-communities, sub-interests crop up that are tangential to those like pop culture or like gender equality or things like that. But yeah, really the primary topics fall within those three categories. And from there, people can share what they know within those interest areas. As we grow, ultimately, we want this to be a curation of anything you find on the internet that you find interesting. You want a place to like socialize it, socialize your knowledge, socialize your crowdsourcing in a way that you currently can't. And create these sort of informative, I don't like the word rabbit hole, but it's like the best description for it. These informative like tunnels, I suppose, that you can like fall down and explore and find all this cool stuff that is knowledge from others. I love that. And I think it's so funny. I think about like, where do I go? Like, let's say hypothetically, I have a problem. I'm going to go to Google, but maybe I'm also in the old days, I would maybe post to like a Facebook group and I would maybe say like, has anyone felt this as an experience, it's like a group of like like-minded, you know, maybe like Los Angeles 20-somethings or like we all like this one podcast, so we're all in this group or whatever. But it becomes uncomfortable because people see your posts on Facebook because you have mutual friends. So it's interesting to hear about this more like private app that, you know, it's not going to be like the guys or like your random like uncle seeing like this really personal thing. How do you guys think about that? Like the privacy element and like keeping it just for women and non-binary folks? Like why is that so important to you guys? 
ultimately it won't just be for women and non-binary. We say we're designing, we basically say that DM is designed for those lived experiences because that's where the biggest need is right now. Like for example, there's crazy internal Google data where 70% of searches that start with the words, is it normal, pertain to the female experience, which is literally billions of searches of people questioning their own normality based simply off of a lack of information that they have on themselves or their experience. And if that's the case, 70%, let's say, of these questions that we're just essentially trying to learn more and gain understanding and information on ourselves or our experience, if 70% of the searches skew female, sadly, they don't have data on non-binary identifying people yet. Maybe they will in a few years. But if that's the case, you would design for the majority. So we're designing for the majority who are looking for these places to learn from each other and to feel a bit more normal because we're all normal. You're not abnormal. Your experiences aren't abnormal. And the only reason you question that is, is based off of the environment that you exist within. So that's kind of how we think about it. Oh my gosh, I love this. It's very, very interesting to hear your thoughts. And that's like a really, really shocking statistic. But it makes sense when you say it. It makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me also a little bit about the format? Do you guys do lives? Do you guys do chats? Do you do, you said reading and you said watching. Can you tell me just a little bit about the formats that people can engage in? Yeah, so we're testing formats at the moment. But the two ways that they exist are you can either do recorded like conversation. So if you've reached level three in the platform, you will have unlocked like the ability to post voice-based discussions. They're not really events. They do happen live, as in like people could listen to them live, but really the purpose is for that conversation to be recorded and then stored forever. And in the future, we'll do cool stuff with like transcriptions and like dividing it up into sound bites and all of that sort of stuff. So it's easier to engage with, but you can either do that or if you're on the lower levels and even when you reach the higher levels, you can share via just like written notes um, and they're called notes in the platform. That can be anything from you sharing an article and your thoughts on the article, what you learned from it, or it could be sharing a product recommendation into a skincare community or something like that. So yeah, we're really just like trying to figure out what people want in that regard, like what is most popular and like how we can bring it to life in a really cohesive way. But those are the two most popular formats at the moment. Awesome. Yeah, that's super helpful because I know there's like infinite ways to kind of figure out how to grab this info and engage. And so it's cool to hear what's kind of sticking. All right, well, this is my final question for you. It's so interesting hearing your thoughts on this. So thank you for indulging me. We ask all our guests this, if there's one piece of advice you would give to all 20-somethings in the world, what is that one piece of advice that you would give them? Enjoy yourself and don't focus on what people think of you. I like it. Is that something that you've been working on or is that something that you just feel like is advice? I think it's, we all spend a lot of time thinking about like how we look to others or how we sound or how intelligent we are or how we exist. And all of that brain power could be used for creating something cool or for learning something new or for anything else. So like, people's impressions of you like yeah don't be a dick but also like just enjoy yourself (laughs) like like you're 20 you have absolutely no responsibilities enjoy all like a lot of us are lucky to not have any responsibilities they enjoy it I love that great advice well this has been so fun Emma can you let everyone know where they can find you on social where they can find DM on social 
I'm sure people want to check it out after hearing the chat. Yeah, so uh, you can find DM at AskDM, D-I-E-M, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Emma S.H. Bates on Twitter and Instagram as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. And thanks for sharing more about Diem. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 